And this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast, me and my co-host Leaf Chuling, we are going to give a preview of the 2023 NBA Combine. I head out in a few hours. Leaf will be there on Tuesday, so we're just going to give a preview of Leaf's first NBA Combine. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And this episode is brought to you by Price Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Like I mentioned in the opening, my co host for today is Leaf Tuling. All right, let's just get into this combine experience, what are you most looking forward to seeing or witnessing or experiencing in your first NBA combine? I'm looking to see how these guys who have often shined as the best players on their teams look against other guys that have been their best players and all kind of have this mindset of, I need to prove myself in order to further my stock, you know, keep it, maintain it as high as it is. And then there's going to be guys that are surprising that, that don't have the same, uh, accu accolades. Uh, they have this basketball savvy that's gotten them there and maybe some attributes that, you know, some people have picked up on, but don't have the pageantry that some of the other combine participants, uh, will have. So I'm, I'm eager to see how the, you know, does the cream come to the top? How many of the players, that we think can be first-round players and will actually participate and try to improve their stock or just kind of stand pat. And then I'm also eager just to see how how these guys look athletically up close. I've seen a couple uh, college basketball games that were high level from you know third, fourth row this year, and I was fortunate enough to see that at March Madness, but it's entirely different against other NBA-level athletes. And I'll be missing some of the workouts, the individual workouts, as I'm, I'm getting in later on Monday. Uh, but I'm eager to see as those transpire throughout the week, I, like what what exactly will be jumping off the screen, so to speak, but actually in person um, of the traits that I'll actually be able to pick up on from up close. Yeah, no, Monday is the day that they're doing the the testing. So that's when you'll see or, or tomorrow or today. <laughs> We're recording this on a Sunday night, late Sunday night. Um, so you, the testing is on Monday. And then based off the schedule that I have, there's nothing going on on Tuesday other than the lottery, you know, just to find out who wins the Victor Wimbayama, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller sweepstakes. And then I know Wednesday there are some pro days. I, I know three for sure that have told me about, about their pro days that I'll be attending. Like you mentioned about guys playing and not playing as of now. I mean, it, like I said, it is Sunday night as of now, based off of just what I'm hearing. I think there's only like two guys that I know for sure in my top 40 that are playing Two. last year. I think out of my top, 60 prospects, I want to say 40 of the 58 
didn't play. And I think this year may be even worse than that. So that part is a little bit disappointing. But last year, the guys that did play, I felt like really helped themselves, at least Jalen Williams and Christian Brown. And it's not a coincidence that that they have, have the same agent. And so I, I felt like Jalen Williams went from late first round to lottery. And I think Christian Brown probably moved up a few spots with his play. So that, that part is a little disappointing is you're not going to see a lot of guys, but everybody is there. And I, I have been told about some private workouts because guys obviously want to keep their rhythm. So they're going to, um, you know, be in Chicago, they're going to measure, but they're still going to be working out. And then there's quite a few pro days coming up next week. I've been invited to one in Santa Monica, one in Vegas. I don't think I'll be able to go. All right, so let's let's give some predictions. Who do you think will win or have the best shooting? Like if let's just say all the guys that are in our lottery or our, our, our first round, let's say they all participate, other than Wimbayama and and Bilal. Who do you think will have the best shooting mark in, in the five-spot shooting? Um, I will go with Jordan Hawkins and Jet Howard. You go Jordan Hawkins and Jet Howard? What about... There's guys that I think will impress more so. Like, they'll shoot better than what the initial anticipation is, whereas those guys were billed as shooters. But I think if we're purely going on percentage of shooting, I think they have the best likelihood of catching fire and shooting really well. Landers Nolly today shot 88%, 22 of 25 on the catch and shoots. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone's beaten that, but I hope someone hope someone puts up some impressive numbers. What did he shoot last year? I mean, I'm sorry, what did, what did uh, Landers shoot? He shot 22 of 25. Oh, wow. Uh on like a catch and shoot one. I don't know if it was the star drill. He shot well in the star drill too. So last year, um, in one set I saw in a three-point star drill, I think Jake LaRavia was first with 17 out of 25. But here's the crazy thing. Christian Coloco was 16 out of 25. I remember posting that last year. I remember year seeing that. And getting and and Darion Sebron, who was considered like one of the biggest projects as a shooter shot 15 out of 25. Um, and then last year in spot-up shooting, Hugo Besson was 20 out of 25. And Julian Strother was 18. Colin Gillespie, 18. So, I mean, like the names that I'm mentioning that actually shot based off of what I remember from last year, Jake LaRavia was a first-round pick. David Roddy was a first-round pick. Jalen Williams was only 13 for 25 on spot-up shooting and Terquavion. The rest of the guys either didn't get drafted or, or, or second-round picks. So that kind of lets you know right right there the type of participation that that, that we'll get. Um, vertical leap. Like, who do you think will have the highest standing vertical? I don't know if he's going to test for sure, but the first name that popped to my mind is Cam Whitmore. Did you see that picture? I could see him jump out. Yeah, I, I I've seen him jump in a uh in a few games where I'm like, my goodness, how do you reach it? And then I saw the image of I think he was at P three and yep. his hands nearly at the ceiling. Um, so he'd be the first one, but I have an answer that I don't think everyone will think of. It's Andre Jackson. Oh, is gonna win the vertical leap. 
He's bouncy, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think of Andre Jackson. Uh, the first name that came to mind was Ken Whitmore. I think a lot of that is based off the picture that we saw from from P3. Oh. Uh, oh, and Dylan Mitchell, too. Yeah, Dylan Mitchell should jump pretty high. Let, let's talk about Dylan Mitchell right now. Is he the player that you feel like has the most to gain at the combine? Um, that's an interesting question because I think there's a, a world where you could say he's got a lot to lose too because, like, you saw a guy like Peyton Watson show up last year and didn't do much at UCLA, but was on a good team and that same idea with Dylan Mitchell and he's carved out a role with the Nuggets in the foreseeable future, you'd think based off the end of the season, which is, you know, presumptuous. You don't know a ton, but at least you wouldn't characterize that as a poor pick. So maybe, maybe because of the athleticism, the way that you get a long-term contract, you take a swing and he's one of those guys that you take a swing on athleticism for. Could he uh, emulate what Josh Minot was last year? And then I watched Josh Minot play in the G, G League the other day, uh, watched the film game of G League Ignite, and he scored 37, I think it was, on G League Ignite. And so I'm not saying he's going to be that. So to answer your question, I think there's a way he could hurt himself by showing like, hey, this I've got no skills other than the athleticism. I'm going to play good defense. And then you say, okay, well, what's that going to do in, in a playoff game where you, can, you can't really hide yourself defensively, um, offensively, like you, you have to make an impact to to be on the court. I wonder um, if even or plays. like you said, I, that's what I was about to get to. Is I, I think the only way he really improves himself is if he shows this unbelievable activity where he rebounds every basketball. He hits a corner three and scores, you know, four four layup and slash dunks. And I that that's the only way I really see him like super skyrocketing. So I think it's more likely he doesn't play, then he tries to improve stock. Could you imagine what happens if Dylan Mitchell plays and he hits two corner threes and, you know, his normal activity? It would basically eliminate everything he did this entire season, and somebody is going to be blown away by that super small sample size and probably select them in the first round. All right, when we return, I have a few more questions to ask Leaf about prospects that he thinks can stand out in Chicago this week. But let's talk about how you can become a millionaire. Every day of the NBA playoffs and finals, one prize picks user will get a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six-pick flex with the following payouts. If you get six correct, you get $1 million. Five correct, $80,000. Four correct, $16,000. And the full details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. But you must opt in at this link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is play the game like normal, and you could be the lucky winner. So you ask, what is prize picks? Well, it's Daily Fantasy Made Easy. Daily Fantasy Made Easy. All you do is pick two to six players, and if they will score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks has projections on any sport from NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, 
EuroLeague basketball, which I'm looking forward to, cricket, and more. And your entries, they can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's pretty simple. It's safe. You can get your money out quickly. And it is currently operational in 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Pick app. Go to prizepicks.com and sign up to play daily fantasy sports. If you are a first-time user, you get a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. But you got to use the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. And tomorrow's episode, it will either be me, or it will be either me and Richard, or me and Leaf. I will be in Chicago, and I'll probably, more than likely, I will do the episode live from the NBA Combine. All right. I want to hear a player that you are most looking forward to seeing. Let, let's just say everybody plays. Well, let me, let me change the question. A player that is currently projected in the second round that you are looking forward to seeing that you believe can help his draft stock the most. This is an interesting one. I don't think many would expect to be the answer, but uh, for me, it's Kobe Brown of Missouri, someone I've been pretty high on for the majority of the season. One of my good friends pointed him out to me. He said, man, this guy shoots the ball out and the ball lights out and he's big. So I started watching Missouri um, right before conference play. And then I got kind of dug into him a lot before. I actually had Missouri making a pretty nice run beating Arizona. Arizona lost to Princeton, then Princeton beat Missouri. So it's Tiger on Tiger crime. Long story short, Kobe Brown was the reason I believed heavily in uh, in Missouri. He's someone that has fabulous shooting splits, really big and nimble. And all I've seen in, on draft Twitter or just a couple texts I've received, whether from agents, scouts that I've just kind of been forwarded, have been overwhelmingly positive. And sometimes where there's smoke, there's a fire. And I could see himself playing his way into the late first round uh, with a really good shooting performance because more and more teams are looking for NBA-ready players. And I think he's more of that than some of these other guys that are more of projections towards the later end of the first round and second round. Speaking of Princeton, one of their players got invited to the NBA combine, got the call up from the elite camp. What are your thoughts on some of the players? And I just mentioned the names, Jazian Gortman from OTE, Jabari Rice, or sorry, Sir Jabari Rice from Texas, Hunter Tyson from Clemson. Uh, Broom from Auburn, P.J. Hall from Clemson, Tosan, I can't pronounce his last name, Tosan, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I've done it before, but I, I don't want to butcher it now. All right, Tosan E. from Princeton, Kendrick Davis from Memphis, and Dylan Jones from Weber State. Dylan Jones is someone that we talked about in an earlier episode. Who was like the biggest shock to you from the from this list and then from the guys that participated in the elite camp that did not get invited. I would say the biggest shock based on how well they at the G league would be either Cliff Omarui or Colin Castleton, both of whom were standout big men in the G league camp. 
And I'd imagine they find a way into the NBA, um, whether it's, you know, summer league uh, performing very well, maybe they get a late invite. Um, but yeah, those would be the two that really stand out to me. And then I, I just want to give you some kudos. Jazian Gortman was phenomenal. And he's someone that I, I think w- flew under the radar for everyone, myself included, because there was such a, an appeal for just two players on the team you played on that you hyper-focus on them as opposed to the holistic team. And I know my I was guilty of that, and so I'm very eager to see him play at the Combine. So from what I heard, and I, I can't confirm it, but this is what I heard, that over time, and, and rightfully so, I get it, was so focused on promoting the Thompson Twins that a couple of their players – Got uh, Gortman and Jalen Martin basically got no exposure this year. They were hardly talked about because everybody was focused on the Thompson twins. And the little tidbit that I got, and again, I, I don't know how true it is. I haven't done the research. I just heard it not too long ago. Was that <clears throat> Gortman's team beat the twins team like in a preseason game. And then they took a couple of players off of his team and put them on the Twins team because they wanted the Twins to basically win. And again, I'm saying I do not know how true it is, but this is just what I heard. I haven't done the research. I didn't go look at the box scores to see if this is what happened, but this is what I heard. And so there are some people that felt like OTE was very good for Gortman as far as just a professionalism, um, a, a good payday. They said a lot of good things about his situation there, except that they feel like it may have hurt his draft stock because he just didn't have the exposure. And luckily, this weekend, he was able to perform in front of a large contingent of NBA scouts and personnel. And he was one of the eight guys invited to invited to participate in the NBA combine from the G League Elite Um G League Elite Camp. I was going to say, you know, I'm so used to saying G League Ignite that I had to make sure that I didn't say Ignite. I I did that last time. Yeah, I I did that last time. Antoine Davis and Colin Castleton are the two guys that I was shocked that that didn't make it. I thought Castleton was someone that could. Actually, I thought that Castleton was the most likely guy in that camp to get drafted. I thought he was someone that could be you know, in the fifties, I mean, he was playing extremely well before he broke his, broke his, I think it was his hand or his wrist. I know like his last four games was like 24 points, nine rebounds. I know that there's some concerns that he doesn't stretch the floor, but I thought that his passing could be enough to basically get him drafted. And I know like he's played four years. So some teams probably feel like you know, he's not going to be able to space the floor or he hasn't shown the signs, but I still thought he was someone that could be like a team's third center. And then Antoine Davis, I mean, he, he shot the ball like I expected him to shoot, but it just seems like his size and the fact that he is 24 now and he'll be 25 once the season starts, it just seems like teams are just, just not interested. What are your thoughts on, on Davis and Castleton? Well, both of them suffer from the unfair bias that comes with age. Like some people develop at different rates and Antoine Davis has been ready to score since he was out of the womb practically. But the question is how well does it translate? And 
the the logic that kind of has superseded every every main conventional logic of hey this guy can really score has been like okay he's scoring against mid-major schools and he's older so we're not giving him an invite even though he won three of the four shooting drills in terms of percentages landers nolly beat him in the spot up one but the other three i believe he tied for first or won first outright in shooting drills today um and you know he can do it in a game setting it's not just a workout warrior type of thing so i think what shocks me and what about them not making it is really just the how strong the bias is for uh, young players. As for what I think of them, I think Colin Castleton's a guy that make the NBA because he's got good skill offensively and athletic enough to contribute defensively. I don't know if he's going to stretch the floor, like truly stretch it, but he won't be like a liability that he can't score outside of like two feet. He's got good ability to score. He's demonstrated for the past two years in particular. And Antoine Davis, I think there's an avenue for him to make it. I just think that one's a little more difficult than it would be for Castleton. What do you think of the, and this is not a, a, I don't like always comparing like black players to black players, white players to white players, Europeans to Europeans. But what do you think of Castleton in an Isaiah Hartenstein role? That is the funniest thing ever because I almost just said in a Hartenstein role when I said in a big, big guy that has good touch outside of a few feet uh, that doesn't truly space the floor. So uh, we are on the exact same wavelength. I was about to put in our chat. And if you heard me typing, that is that is what I was typing in our chat. So so where our minds are connected here. Uh, I see it very much so. I, I think he could be Isaiah Hartenstein to a T. Uh, he may not quite be as big. Hartenstein's kind of got a bigger body. Castleton's a little more slender. Um, but I think he can play that role, energy big with superior offensive skill uh, compared to a lot of guys that play energy big. And and I think that's a very feasible role for him. Yeah, Castleton measured 6'10 and a half with a 7'3 wingspan, 233 pounds with a 9 and a half standing reach. So is that about the size that you expected or do you expect him to be bigger or smaller? I expected him to be about that. Uh, I think if we're talking guys, big guys, like I mentioned, Cliff Omarui, he he measured in it with like a seven, six wingspan, enormous yeah. hands and uh, 243 pounds. I, I expect both he and Castleton, despite not getting invites um, to really find a way to infiltrate the NBA and play as quality backup bigs. Uh, I was, my eyes were pretty open by Omar Rui playing with NBA caliber athletes as opposed to Rutgers where he was, they were really good defensively, but they played a very slow pace and it didn't play to his strong suit. And so I, that's a guy that I really was impressed by Castleton. I, like we mentioned when we last spoke a couple of days ago, he seemed like someone that could thrive in the setting because he's got a polished game. He's a little older and he's fairly athletic. So uh, that one didn't surprise me. Omarui did a little bit, and I think both of them find a way to have success in the NBA. All right. I'm going to go over a list of names of players, and you tell me if you think that this player should or should not play. So uh, you have to kind of change your, your mindset. You're not Leaf the scout, the guy that wants to see these guys. You are Leaf the agent, right? Trey Alexander. Do you think he's done enough to solidify draft spot or do you think he should play? I would play because I think he's got the game that, that would fits this type of setting where he can score on multiple levels and he wants to prove that he's a better defender than I think some people give him credit for. 
So I, I would play if I'm Trey Alexander. Amari Bailey. I'd probably sit if I am Amari Bailey because there are deficiencies to my game. However, I'm young and I showed great improvement the last month and a half with an increased role for UCLA. So I'll let that speak volumes for me. Try to shoot well in individual workouts um, and kind of stuff that goes on at the combine and press meet when meeting with teams. But yeah, I, I would, I'd steer clear of facing better athletes that are more on your level um, when you have deficiencies shooting the ball. Here's one. Imani Bates. Uh, I mean, I would <laughs> probably get, sit. Before you go, I want to add something because I because <laughs> I saw how you were thinking. So on one hand, I, I spoke to somebody that, that's pretty close to the situation. And they're like, on one hand, if he goes out and he plays well, he could really help himself. On the other hand, someone said, if he makes his first shot, <laughs> then he might start taking step back threes and heat check shots early in the game and, and could possibly look bad. And I had mentioned, well, that's what Tercravion did last year. Like he had, he came off the bench. I was there and he made, I don't know. I feel like his, his first five, five of his first six shots totally cooled off in the second half. It was all heat check shots. And I, I, I thought Tercravion really helped himself. So with the Amani situation, I think it can go either way. So what are your thoughts on that? I echo that sentiment for the most part. I think, well, he could really stand to gain for having a really good performance. I think he has more to lose with a bad performance than just about anyone because he is a guy that took such a circuitous path, has some character concerns based off some of the legal actions he also had so much pressure on him as a younger player, and then he didn't live up to the expectations entirely at Memphis. Then he goes and plays and, and scores well, but inefficiently. So I, I think I would probably – I would. If, here's the thing. If I were him, I'd want to play and say, hey, look, I can do it. If yeah. I were the agent, I'd be conservative and say, look, man, if, if you have a bad game, like this, this kind of doesn't work for us. We're going undrafted most like in most likelihood. Um, and so I, I was going to say I'm torn because I, I don't know if he's like fully guaranteed to be drafted anyway. So that's why I'm really, really torn. And that's why I chose yeah. this segment to put you on the hot spot. Maybe if he shoots the lights out, which I can see him doing tomorrow or yeah. I guess today, technically yeah. for those of you who are listening Monday while we're recording late at night, um, then, then I'd say, okay, we're sitting. If he doesn't like shoot the absolute cover off the ball, try to play might as well. I, I personally just want to see them all play as you alluded to. Yeah. And I think more people are going to start to realize what the agency with Jalen Williams, Christian Brown, Leonard Miller, like guys like that. I mean, I mean, we don't know for certain if he's going to play, but, but I mean, guys that have gone to that agency have really had their draft stock shoot up and, and when you asked the question earlier, who's your guy that you expect to really shine? Then you asked about the second uh, second round. I was going to say Leonard Miller before you asked about the second round. So I just wanted to give my little shout out for Leonard Miller. And I'm, I'm driving the hype train right now. I, I really think he's going to have a wonderful showing. And uh, if he shoots well, should he shoot, then I, uh, I think he could really play his way into the, basically the lottery. 
Well, Leonard Miller played last year. He just so happens to be represented by the same agent that represents Jalen Williams and Christian Brown. So I think there's a good chance that Leonard Miller could play. All right, here's another one for you. Ricky Council, play or not to play? Uh, I'd say to play because he's got the athletic ability to shine and he's got the scorer's mentality that I think in previous years has really helped a few players elevate their stock. So I, um, I'd play. I, I think his shot needs some re redefining for sure, but uh, he's got the athletic ability to be impactful defensively. And in these type of games are typically fairly fast paced and he plays well in the open court. So might as well try to play and improve your stock because I think he's kind of at a point where his stock stagnated and maybe even has gone the wrong direction. So this could help you. Zach Eady. Ooh, uh, I'd play. I, I think Edie's, yeah, I think Edie's got to show that he's more versatile than what he played at Purdue, which was dominant, but it was one dimensional. And it was because why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but in this case, you need to show that there's more to your arsenal. And so I think he's got to play, but I, I'm very curious to see how he does. I got a little feedback from one of his workouts and it wasn't necessarily about Zach, but he worked out for a team. I won't, I won't say it cause I don't think it's been out yet. And there was a guy that was on the other team in, in their workouts. And he was asked by his agent, how did you do in the workout? And he said, well, I was getting killed off of screens because I kept running into Zach Eady and my guy kept getting open looks because I couldn't get around that screen. And that's something that is not really talked about. You always talk about, oh, can he play in the fast-paced NBA? Does his game translate? But he could be someone that can create open looks for his teammates just because he's a massive presence and he he's a, a pretty good screener. All right, Muhammad Gay. That's that's a fascinating one. You, you know I'm putting you on the mm. hot seat because I know you can handle it. <laughs> okay, so I gave I bought myself a few seconds there, and in that I'm going to go with my default answer, which which is I think he should play, and try to show that the athleticism is functional compared to other good athletes. And see if he can show that I, I've diversified my game, speaking of, as if I'm him. From the agent's perspective, there's a there's a concern that, you know, maybe you're playing other athletes where you're not going to out-rebound them and out-athlete them near the rim like you did often in the Pac-12. This is someone that I saw plenty of against, you know, the likes of a guy like Brandon Carlson, who could stretch the floor and was the best player for Utah, uh, or, or some players for Stanford like James Keefe who are plenty fine players, but only like Adembona and maybe maybe even Umar Balo could compete athletically on the glass. So I wonder if he doesn't look like the the athlete that he does in this setting. Um, so I'd have hesitancy, but I think I'd play. All right, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So you're, you're still Leaf the agent, and you are – deciding about which guys are participating and showing what in a pro day. So for those that don't know, a pro day is basically a, an event that the agency runs and is showcasing 
their clients, whether it's their athleticism. And they're usually pretty scripted because you want the guys to look good, but also it can be a situation to where if there's a guy that has a weakness and you feel like he's improved, then you can put him out there at the pro day. So last year, for example, I thought Dyson Daniel shot up because he shot well at, at his pro day and he, he worked out by himself. So for you, Leaf, you are representing Coleman Hawkins. Do you shoot at the pro day? Yes, I think we're going to disagree here. But I think his shot looks good enough that it can trick people into believing it being good should he shoot adequately. And I think in an open gym, he can shoot adequately. Um, And I think he's got the requisite tape defensively and his offensive versatility as a passer, even though he's kind of a risk taker. You can tone that down without him being a focal point of your offense in the NBA. Um, So I would try to improve my stock and say, look, you got a potential floor space or someone who can switch defensively and, you know, possibly, you know, pass the ball and now possibly shoot. So I would say yes. Andre Jackson. Is Andre Jackson shooting at the combine if you're his agent? Whether it's the pro day or even the drills. Probably not the drills, maybe the pro day. Because I love Andre Jackson. Richard Richard can attest to this. If you want to listen to it, before this was locked on NBA Big Board, it was locked on NBA Draft. And Richard and I did a podcast, and I told him, look, they're the best athlete in the country plays for UConn. This was his, like, going into sophomore year, and now he's a senior. And uh, anyway, I, I think he's awesome, but I would try to protect his stock by not showing the the janky jump shot, which I doubt has drastically improved in this same amount of time since he's tried to work on that for three years. Well, he shot 36% last season, not the season that just passed, but the last season. Low volume. Uh, I know. Very limited. <laughs> very limited, though. Well, that wraps up this episode. Big shout out to each and every listener for making this your first listen of the day. The next episode of Locked On NBA Big Board podcast that you will hear that you will hear will be in Chicago. I'm Rafael Barlow. He's Lee Tulane, and we are out.